0: Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together to study your word. We ask you guide and lead us in each, of the, each thing that we look at, and we just thank you for this evening in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice that your word is one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but your word do I love. Seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have they that love your law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for your salvation and done your commandments. My soul has kept your testimony, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. So we're going to look at this. It says, princes have persecuted me without cause. And knowing David, you understand the story about David. You see that he has been persecuted for a good portion of his life when Saul kept chasing him everywhere that he went. And we know the story of David. David had many opportunities to kill Saul that he didn't do. Plus the fact that David was a much better general than Saul and could have, you know, could have gone on a frontal assault with him, with his mighty men and taken Saul out. And yet he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, you know, many, many princes have persecuted me without cause. He says, but my heart stands in awe of your word. God, many people are persecuting me. Many people are seeking my life, but I'm going to stand in awe of your life of your word. And you know this is something this all this this whole section talks a lot about this idea of God bad things are happening but I still love you. And you know so many Christians in our day don't have that attitude. And part of it is because of the bad way that the Gospels preach to so many. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. And that happens in Pentecostal churches a lot. But even in a lot of Baptist churches. You know you come to Jesus and all your problems will Will, will be taken care of, and God never promised that. Jesus said, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. He says that there's gonna be tribulations, there's gonna be trials, and when we suffer these things, we turn closer to God's word and say, God, this is exactly what you said going, was gonna happen, and I'm going to be able to just follow your teaching. And it's very important that we keep that in mind, when bad things happen to me, I get kind of excited. Okay, God, that means I'm on the right track and you're running, you're allowing me to be tested. You're allowing me to go through hard times to show that I'm one of your children. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing wrong. Most people do. Most people think they're doing wrong when they go through bad. Well, may. I mean, it's... And, it's, and what have I said? There's three steps you should be doing when you go through bad, bad times. Number one have i sinned and am i being punished but don't dwell on that if you can't don't sit there and say well i must be being punished i got to figure out i got to figure out what i've done wrong and you and you dig up every little thing in your life until you've really torn apart your life and you're living in the past okay but once you've said okay god yes yeah god i, I deserve this i you know i've been doing these things wrong for the last you know the last week you know i'd really deserve this this is my punishment if not you just sit back and you say okay god what do you want me to learn from this because something is being there to be taught. God, is it just a test to see if I'm going to be faithful, or are you trying to teach me something? And this is something that's very important for us to sit back. You know, do I deserve it, or is this a test? And a lot of times, it's a test. Because you look at Job, when, you know God pointed Job out to Satan. You know, I'm sure, Satan was wanting to get at him anyway, but God says, you know, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, Yeah, really, I really have, but you've got a fence around him and I can't get to him. Okay, you can do. And many times when we learn something, whatever it is in the scripture that God's teaching us, if you're starting to learn something, start looking for the test to say, do I really know what it is that I've learned? If you're reading and learning and God's showing you a lot about love, get ready to meet that person that's going to be hard to love. If he's teaching you a lot about forgiveness, start looking for that person who's going to be hard to forgive. If he's teaching you about patience, start looking for your patience to be tried and tested. If he's teaching you to just be kind to people, look for that person who's going to be hard to be kind to. I can guarantee you they're coming. Whatever he's teaching you in the Word, he's going to present you with the opportunity to put what you've been taught into practice. When he teaches you to not strike out at people and and just put it into God's hands. He's going to put somebody in your life that is going to attack you and make you want to fight back tooth and nail. And he's going to say, I told you just arrested me. You said you believed it. You've been reading it. You said you believed it. And yet, when we get put into the situation, it proves, do I believe what I've been taught? Or as Dale Tackett in the Truth Project said, do you believe that what you believe is really real? And, you know, So it's very important as we look at this. Verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one that finds great spoil. How much do we rejoice in God and his word? In Psalm 19, it says that it's greater than, uh, more precious than gold and silver and, and sweeter also than honey. And here he says, his word is more precious great spoil. This is a soldier talking about it. And what have we said about this? The great benefit of the soldier was after the battle, you got to get, keep the spoil as long as you stayed alive. And he says, your word is better than that great spoil, God. It's better than going, combing the battlefield and getting all the riches of the, of the battle of the, of the city. Do we always think of God's word that way? God, your word is so special. It is better than great wealth. That's what he's saying, better than great wealth. How many people have sacrificed God and his word for their job? I've been guilty of it, getting so wrapped up in work and and sacrificing God and and everything else for work, making money. You can put just about anything in there. People sacrifice God for all kinds of numbers of things. But what, how important to us is God? Do we see him greater than silver and gold? Do we see him greater than great wealth? Do we see him greater than anything else in our life and put him first? And we need to take and just look at our life and say, God, is it really true that you are number one in my life? Because when we're in church and we're with other Christians, we'll say all the right things. God is wonderful. God is good. And, but, you know, if you listen to some people, and they're talking about everything but God, you start to go, okay, you're saying the right words at times, but do you, is God really important to you? And so here David's saying, Your word, your word, I rejoice at your word, and I find and it's greater than great wealth. Verse 163 says, I hate and abhor lying, but your law do I love. God, I hate and loathe lying, untruth, but your word I love. I love truth. And this is something that is so important because I love getting into God's word. I love reading truth. I love seeing where God's going to take us at. And, you know, as I said this morning, this book is true, 100% true. And I've got to understand that it's true. And it draws me to love it because we should be loving truth. And rejecting all lies. And how much of what we see, hear, and do is is centered in lies. Pretty much anything we watch in the entertainment world is centered on lies. Unless it has some redemptive value in it, and much of it doesn't. Much of what we watch and read has no redemptive value at all. And God is saying, you know, do you love truth? His word is truth. And even when I read Christian books, sometimes I get very irritated about what's in some of these Christian books because they're so full of untruth and, and contrary to God. And it's like, you know, why? You know, you're supposed to be a book about God or a movie about God, songs about God. You know, I don't like a lot of the Christian music in there because a lot of it's undoctrinal because of the stuff they say in, in these songs. And... And that even includes many of the old hymns that are in some of the hymn books. Some of the hymns aren't worth singing because they're not completely doctrinal in, even in the hymn books. So people go, well, that's why I always like the hymns. You know, I understand all these new things. They have so much. A lot of the hymns aren't worth singing. Uh, Jesus loves the little children. When you can find it in the hymnal, it has verses in it that are totally garbage. <laughs> and they're not worth singing. We need to be very careful that we're following truth and we're in love with God's truth and being very discerning about when the lies come in, come our way. Verse 146 says seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteousness. Now there's some controversy. I don't know if David means that seven times out of every day he worshiped God or he's using seven more in the the idea that seven is complete. I'm giving you complete praise. Either way it works. Okay, God, I'm going to give you praise, and I'm not going to stop giving you praise. I want to keep lifting you up. I want to keep giving you the, the honor. And there's many, many different commentaries that say that this is not talking about seven literal times a day. And it's quite possible, because usually we had like Daniel, he prayed morning and evening. And there's you know there's nothing in the Jewish tradition that says you pray a certain number of day, uh, times, you are supposed to open your day and you're supposed to close your day in prayer. And if you want to pray more than that, that's great, but it's not, not required. So why David would he say seven times a day? Probably using seven as the idea of, of completion, that it's a complete, because seven is completion or perfection uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures many times. But he could also have said, you know, seven times, God, I, I love you so much. I'm praying seven times a day. I'm not going to rule that out. God, I'm praying in the morning, I'm praying in the middle of the day, I'm praying at lunch, I'm praying in the middle of the afternoon, I pray, I pray at, uh, at sunset, and I'm praying before I go to bed. He could literally be saying, I pray seven times. I'm not going to rule that out. But there's nothing in the worship of Judaism that says you pray seven times a day. Now, if you're a follower of Muhammad, you pray seven times a day. And it's prescribed when you pray and the times you pray and it's set by the sun's position, and they are supposed to pray seven times a day. Most of them don't. Most of them just pray in the morning, noon, and evening. But uh, so could it be literal? Yes. Could it be just a figurative? It's very possible. And he says, "I pray seven times a day because of your righteous judgments. Because you are right righteous." You know, And uh, so we go forward in that verse 166. Lord, I have hoped for your salvation and done your commandments. I have hoped. I wait upon your salvation. Salvation, lifting up, rescuing from out of the situations. And have done your commandments. You want me to to actually do 165? Yeah, we'll go back to 165. (laughs) I, I didn't notice I passed through it. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing shall offend them. That's a good verse to make sure we have. Great peace have they which love your law. How do we get peace? We start listening to God. He is the God of peace. He will bring righteous judgments. He will bring righteousness. But I love this saying: Nothing shall offend the person who loves God's law. How much of our life is spent being offended by people. Why do we get offended? Mostly because people don't do, say, or act the way toward us that we think they should. So we end up getting very upset with them. Well, you didn't, you hurt my feelings. Well, the real question is what difference does it make that they hurt my feelings? Because my goal should be to point them to God. Now if they're attacking God now now I might be offended. Jesus was offended at the buyers and the sellers and the money changers in the temple. He was offended because they were attacking God's righteousness and, and hurting God's testimony and he was offended by that. But how many how much did they say against him all the time? You know, implemented uh, indicted him on one case because they go, "Well, we know who our father is and stay Translation of that, you don't know who your father is. You're a bastard. You don't know who your father is, and we know who ours is. He didn't take offense to that. He just went on with his teaching. You know, he, they called him a, a sinner and a publican because he would go to parties and where drunks were and everything because he was out with the world, and he didn't go attacking them. He didn't try to defend himself saying, well, no, I'm there just a minister. I'm not there to participate in their, their debauchery. He just went forward with the message. And yet how many times will we get all bent out of shape trying to defend our reputation when we're attacked? And the problem with that is, is usually when we're trying to defend our reputation, we destroy God's reputation in the process. And usually we'll think, well, God, I'm just trying to protect your reputation as well because I'm your your ambassador. And God says, I'm perfectly able to handle my reputation. We need to be very sure that we're pointing people to God because who I am is nothing. It doesn't mean who I am or who I think I am really means nothing. It's all about God. And it really is all about God. Not because I think that he needs defending. Not because I think that I need to guard my testimony so that, so that everybody knows that I am one of God's children. I just live before God and I hide in him and let him be my defense. It's, uh, there's an old, old proverb that says, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. And, you know, sometimes we do this. We need to just be quiet in our, in our own defense and say, okay, God, you're my defender. I'm just going to be quiet. doesn't matter what, what they think about me as long as you are my defense. And he'll defend us. The truth always comes out. Whether we're trying to hide the truth in our defense or trying to defend it, God will bring the truth out, always. Be sure that your sins will find you out. If you're trying to hide your sins, they will be found out. If you're being lied about they lying is going to be found out eventually. We we sometimes wonder because you look at somebody like Joseph, sold into slavery. What a patience he had to be waiting for 13 years for God to bring out the truth. 13 years. How many of us would have been so patient? You know, Potiphar, my brothers put me here you know, out of spite and everything. I don't really deserve to be a slave, but so I'm going to make your life miserable telling you about how I shouldn't be here. And he had never been promoted in Potiphar's house. Of course, if he had not been promoted, he probably wouldn't have been charged with rape. Then he goes to prison. Well, I really don't belong here. I didn't do this, and you know, I got lied against. And he could have been grumbling and griping about it the whole time and then never being in a position to give the... Interpretation to the butler and the bu- and the and the uh, and the baker, and then never being called to go before Pharaoh, mm-hmm. all because he said, "God, I don't understand this, but you're in charge, and I'm going to be as honoring of you as possible because you you are my God." Did he ever expect to be number one in in Pharaoh's king, uh, number two in Pharaoh's kingdom? I don't know. Did he fully understand the dream well enough to know that this is my chance for my brothers and fathers to bow down to me because I'm going to get promoted here in, you know, in, in Egypt? I don't think that entered his mind. I really don't think that entered his mind. Now, maybe the day he was called to go stand before Pharaoh, he might have said, oh, maybe this is where I'm going to get promoted. Maybe this is where I'm going to be released. But for 13 years, I don't think that was in the forefront of his mind far as he was concerned is, God, you gave me a dream and I don't see how it's going to be possible to come true. We need to be very careful. Some, Especially as Americans, we get so impatient. God, it's been three minutes since you promised me something. When's the answer coming? Okay, God, it's been a week. That's really too long, God. God, it's been a decade. Are you going to answer my answer? Are you going to fulfill what you told me to do? And, you know, we look at this over and over and over again, and how God's patience is long-term. He told Israel through Abraham, you're going to go to the promised land, and it's going to be everywhere that you've walked, Abraham is going to be yours. It took them 430 years before it happened. Isaac is born before, and it's 430 years from the time Isaac is born to the time that, Joshua walks into the promised land. How patient is God? Now from God's perspective, for, for uh, 4.3 centuries is not a long time. From human perspec- perspective, that's a long, long time. And yet God so often will say, I've got all the time in the world, I'll, I'll make it happen. You just relax. Do we get offended easily and open our mouth and try to defend ourselves or are we quiet more often than not? We need to be careful with this because this is something God's trying to teach us. How often do we speak? How often do we strike out because we have been offended? shows that our flesh hasn't been crucified. God says, I want your flesh crucified. If our our flesh is dead, they can offend our dead flesh all they want and it's not going to make me react, because my flesh is crucified. When I react, I know that it's because they've touched a nerve on my flesh and I'm not happy with what they've said or done. Been there, done that, do that. <laughs> you know, they, go, they say just the right thing to get me, oh, you, you do what? You said what? Mm-hmm. You, you think what? Let me just put you in your place. <laughs> And it's so easy to do. And David says, Great peace have they that love your law. The more we're into God's word and into his law, the greater our peace and the less we'll be offended by people attacking us. The great thing when we read the biographies that I'm encouraging people to read is just to see how God teaches them to not react when things go against them. And it's kind of fun because you read them and you see them reacting, 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 having bad things happen and then God gets hold of them and they don't react and then you watch God work. God is such a gentleman that the more we react, the more we try to defend ourselves, he says, okay, you want to defend yourself? Be my guest. And he will let us defend ourselves. If that's really what we want to do, he'll let us defend ourselves. And he's standing back saying, okay, are you done yet? Huh? Huh? Defending ourselves is never good because we're gonna put our foot in our mouth almost every time. We will say something that's stupid, we'll, do, we'll say something that exasperates the problem, we will make it worse and we're just thinking okay I'm just trying to defend my reputation has been soiled so I'm gonna make sure that you understand that you've you've destroyed my reputation. And this is why I say in most cases, the scriptures tell us to be angry and sin not. If I am personally involved with the, what I'm angry about, I will probably not be able to get by without sin. If I'm angry because somebody is being hurt, I probably can be angry and sin not because it's not me personally trying to defend who I am and how bad I'm hurt. I'm trying to defend somebody who's being hurt, which is a good thing. We're to care for the widows. We're to care for the orphans. We're to be upset if they get, if they get abused. But when I'm sitting there being upset that I have been hurt, as soon as the I gets in there, if you're upset because I hurt, I'm hurt, i you hurt, know, me, myself, and I, you you made me really look bad, you're in trouble. You're already in trouble if it's the me, my, me myself, and I show. And it will not work very good. Okay. Lord, I have hoped for your salvation and have done your commandments. We covered that one already before 165. <laughs> huh? I didn't. Yeah, I did because Annie told me to go back to 165. But we'll look at it some more. I have hoped. I have, I have waited upon your salvation, your rescuing, and done your commandments. I have not done that all the time, but it is wonderful when you do that. When you wait on God, you see his salvation. Wait and see, God tells us. So many times he would tell the individuals that his message was, wait and see what I've got in store for you. Wait and see. And when we can learn just to wait for God and watch him deliver the situation, it is so much fun. Let him be our defense. Get, let us see how he defends, how he takes us out of situations. How many times have you been in a situation where it looked like there was no way out of it? And you say, God, I'm just going to put my trust in you. And the next thing you know, the situation's gone. God deals with it. Hezekiah, city under siege, and God says, just wait, the enemy you see today won't be here tomorrow, and in one night, 185,000 Assyrians are killed. Another battle, they go out and go, just wait and see. You're afraid of this enemy? Matter of fact, we've got this new, new game plan to this day. You're going to send the singers and the ark out first. And they're going to sing. And the enemy kills himself. <laughs> they all attack each other in the confusion. And the army just walks in and takes the spoil. How about that for a battle? Great spoil. All you had to do was go in and, and get the spoil from all the dead people that you didn't kill. How many times does God do these things? He just says, wait and see what the Lord will do. The the ten plagues on Egypt. God is saying, just wait and see. Here's here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Wait and see. So often we need to just wait and see how God's going to deliver. Verse 167. My soul has kept your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Do we love God's Word? How much do you love God's Word? Do people know that you love God's Word? And you all know if you talk to me, I love God's Word, and you're going to hear about God's Word, not just when I'm teaching, but all this is my topic. I love to talk about God's Word. How much do you love God's Word? Is, it, is, it, is He what you talk about? When you read the Scriptures in the morning, do you talk about God during that day? Do you, do you, have you ever shared with it? I love this, I love this principle, how much importance is God's word to you? And I've shared with you, I loved it back east, the church we had had raised God's word to such a high level that people, when they would get together, they'd see each other all week, and you might have a Bible study starting in the middle of the grocery store aisle because people would get together and they would share what God had showed them that morning. And it was so funny because, you know, here we are, you got this group of three or four Christians all talking about the Bible because they were so excited about what God had shared with them in that morning. You went to a, you'd go to a birthday party, and somewhere during a birthday party, you'd have a Bible study. It may not be a long one, it might only be 15 or 20 minutes, but you'd have a Bible study in the middle of the birthday party, or at the end of it, or at the beginning of it, but there'd be God's word lifted up. My prayer is that our church gets to where we love God so much that when we meet together, it'll be, you know what I read? You know what God showed me this morning? Let me just share with you what God showed me this morning. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. This is what God showed me. Not just people who want to teach, but you know, how excited do you get when you study God's word? The greatest thing to me is that even though we're following different, Plans for reading the Bible is how many times what I read in the in that morning is just what I need that day, and it excites me. And I should be sharing that with others, huh? Because God's word is true. But do you know? Do we take it the next step and share with people? You know what? I was reading. I was reading this morning or yesterday morning, and this is what God did to to use and make His His word real. Are we taking it to the next step and sharing it with other Christians and and encouraging them? I think so. About what we've learned. It's very important because it takes it out of just a theory in my head to show others. Why do I want people reading biographies of of other great Christians? There's three things I really want to see people do. Number one, understand that God's word is real and is for us today. But, you know, when we read God's word, we go, yeah, well, that that was good 4,000 years ago. That's God working 4,000 years ago. We read these different biographies we have, and many of these guys are from the 1800s to 1900s that are in that library, and we go, oh, yeah, God did things for them. But, you know, when we start really sharing amongst each other, oh, God is still doing what he did in the Bible. He's still doing what he did for these guys 100 years ago. You mean our God hasn't changed? (laughs) He's, He's still doing these things? I think sometimes we do it, but even, even then, it's not really what we're doing. Not the main, not the main it's thing it's we're thinking not, of. Yeah. It's not, we're so, we're, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. We're, doing this. So we're not even doing this, sometimes we're doing nothing. But the point is, our goal should be to share these things and make him number one. Because he is number one, and we need to lift him up, but we need to consciously lift him up because otherwise he may be very real to us, but something is not completely real to you that you don't speak about. You, know, you really want to speak about what it is that is important to you because that's what makes it become very real. It goes out of just a theory and, my, and head knowledge into this is my experience, and I want to tell you about it. The one thing people cannot argue with on your testimony, you can tell them all about how they're sinners, they deserve Jesus, but they cannot argue with what God is doing in your life. It's very real. It's very true what he's doing in your life. And so you need to be opening up and talking about what he's done. Verse 168, I have kept your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. God, your way of thinking, your testimonies, I'm, I'm keeping it because, God, you know who I am. You know, so many times we will try to convince God that we are not as bad as, as he knows we are. You know, and we'll kind of be pointing out, God, uh, you know, look at all the good things I've done. Forget about those things, bad, those other bad things, God, but look at all the good things I've done for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if the good outweighs the bad, it's still not good. You know, and so often we will we will sit there and say, God, you know, you know, I know you. I know you say I'm a sinner. You know, I know you say you I have nothing without you. But God just, you know, you look at me, and He's saying, "You're." I have kept your precepts for your. My ways are before you. In essence, He's saying, God, I'm being good because you know you know what you know what's going on. And. In essence, most of us, when we go into sin, are basically telling God, God, you don't see everything, and I, and I don't really have a problem with sinning because you're not going to see this area of my life. Precepts mean ways? Th- ways of thinking. <laughs> ways of thinking. Kind of, of that. Yeah, precepts of way of thinking. Next time Sharon's here, I've got a list in there about the precepts. We'll pass it out. <laughs> I finally did it for her. She doesn't come. And you now she's not here tonight, so... I think she said something about wanting to do that and realized I had too many, too many yeah. verses to go through. I it. Yeah, I, I, it was kind of funny this morning because I heard everybody talking about, because the assignment for the, for the how to study the Bible was to do a, a basic word study. Homework yesterday afternoon. So, the, <laughs> so they were to go out and do a word study. And so I heard all about how people were looking at it and said, nope, this is too many words. Yeah, this one maybe be too few. Because I told them to find something that's somewhere between 6 to about 25 verses max, you know. So, uh, you know, don't, don't do a study on your first uh, word study that's, that's three pages long. <laughs> you know, don't study word, don't study. <laughs> that I wrote one either. No. no. <laughs> so, all right. 169 through 176. Let my cry come near before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise when you, when you have taught me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word with all your commandments are righteousness. Let my, your hand help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I have longed for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and let and it shall praise you and let my judgment let your judgments help me i have gone astray like lost sheep seek your servant for i do not forget your commandments so 169 let my cry come before you o lord give me understanding according to your word you know when he, and this cry is a ringing loud cry you know let my loud cry come before you god like a wailing no, not wailing. It is more of like a battle cry or a triumphant cry, but it's loud. It's, it's not God help me. It is a screaming out, God help me, that would sh- basically shake the walls type thing. We've talked about this, the idea of uh, the battle cry. Uh, if you're near near a stadium or something, and you hear the, the cheers go up, even though the stadium's a mile away, and you go, oh, something good happened in you know with the home team. Or Or, or something really, really bad. Usually you don't get quite that loud when it's really, really bad for your team, but it's that whole idea. Let my cry come before you, God, and give me understanding according to your word. You know, when things are going rough in your life, the place to go is God's word. Go into his word. Look into what God is trying to teach you and wants to share with you. My greatest comfort comes from his word, When bad things are happening in my life or at least things that I think are bad, my first prayer is, God, you've promised that all things work together for good. I don't understand this, but you've promised that it's going to be for good, so I'm going to wait for seeing how you are going to happen. Secondarily, I look at it and say, God, you are in control. You are are sovereign, so therefore, nothing has happened to me that you have not allowed. All my hope goes back to God. And you start really starting to grab hold of verses. And they, a lot of people will call them life verses. These are the verses I put my life on. And I guess I really do put these, the fact that God is sovereign and the fact that all things work together as part of my life verses. So when things bad happen, I'm going, okay, God, I don't understand it, but you promised that it's going to be for good. You've allowed this. So I don't know how it's going to be for good, but you've allowed it. And I'm just going to have trust in that. Then we look and say, you know, give thanks in all things. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not it doesn't say in all good things give thanks for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you, in everything give thanks. So when we start putting our hope in God's word, it will show us how to live. God, I've been really bad and all these things are happening to me, but I'm going to give you thanks that you're trying to teach me something. I'm going to give you thanks that you are still in control, God. And be able to say what's out there and say, God, I think this is so important. God, I'm really going through a really hard time in this test. And then we get 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you, be tempted above that which you are able, but will with a temptation provide a way of escape. And you go, okay, God, I'm, I'm not the only one. It's common. Because what's Satan's accusation to you? You know, you're the only one that's ever felt this kind of thing. You know, how awful could you be to think these thoughts? Common, common. (laughs) Everybody goes through this. Maybe not everybody, but many. Other people have gone through this. I am not the only one that is so bad that I have considered this particular thought. And God's word gives us our support to get through things. And it's very important for us to understand that. Verse 170, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. God, listen to my prayers. Let let my prayers come before you. And deliver me according to your word. What's he doing? There's a a school of thought that says, pray God's words back to him. God, you promised this, and here's what I'm doing. Basically, that's what David's doing here. Deliver me according to what you've already told me. You said you were going to deliver me. If I just honor you, you said you would deliver me. So God... I'm reminding you, <laughs> deliver me. <laughs> you know, My prayer when I say, God, I don't understand this, but you've promised that all things that work together for good is basically, God, I don't understand how this can happen, but you have promised, you have promised God that it's going to work together for good. So I'm going to trust in your word. And when you start thinking about God's word, it gives you that hope. God, don't understand. Don't understand what's going on in my life. Yeah, but you told me everybody's going to hate me, and you also said things are going to work together for good. You've, you, you've told me this, that, and the other thing, and God, I'm going to just rest in what you have said. This is why knowing scripture is so important. One of the reasons that we're practicing and memorizing scripture is just for that very reason. When you are attacked, when you go through things, you have something that you have in your mind that gives you that support that gives you that way of believing that yes, God, I am going to follow you and I'm going to believe in what you've said. Verse 1 71. My lips shall utter praise when you have taught me your st- statutes. My lips shall utter praise or give boast when you have taught me. When do we learn the most? When we go through hard times. Otherwise, when we go through there and nothing's going wrong, we go through the word and it's academic. It's just okay, God. Yeah, no, it sounds really good, God. <laughs> When's the real test of anything come through? Is when it goes through the fire and keeps us. Because we've all been there, God. Oh, yeah, God. That's a really wonderful verse. I really agree with you. You know, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not bow, and they go. You know, our God's able to able to keep us. Okay, God. Yeah, you're able to keep us. When do we know that God can keep us? When the world falls apart. When we're standing there in front of the furnace and God say, okay, we're getting ready to throw you into the furnace. Are you, now do you believe that I can keep you? Or are you going to deny me and bow down in front of those idols? Whatever that idol is at that particular time. I like their answer, though. Whether he keeps me or not. Yeah, whether he, whether he delivers us or not, we will, he can, but whether he does or not, we will not bow. But the point of the, that I'm using on that is That's when that real test comes. God, I know what you have said in this truth. I know that you say you're going to provide all my needs, but God, this is a mighty big giant in front of me. I need to pay this bill, and it's due tomorrow. And God, I just don't see how this is going to happen. And God says, I've got it. uh, Or you didn't do the job I told you to do yesterday that would have paid for the bill. Uh, But, you know, he gives us the opportunities, and he says... Here it is. The quote for, the, for this month is, the giant before you is never bigger than the God inside you. you know? And think about that. How often do we look at the problem in front of us and think, oh man, that's a big problem. That is a huge giant, God. God, are you big enough to beat that giant? They're getting ready to arrest us tomorrow for saying that, that sin is sin, and God says, I've got this taken care of. You may still get arrested, but he's got it taken care of, and he's going to lift up his name. And it may be a way to get in front of, of kings and princes to present God's word to them. You never know what God's being use, is going to use you for. And it says, we'll utter praise because of it. Verse 172, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Yes. This goes back to what I keep saying so often. Do you speak about God and his word? Do you share with others what God is doing in your life? Is God so important to you that he's going to come up and be the one who's lifted up? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so often we don't let God be lifted up in the situation. And David saying, you know, my tongue shall speak of your word. Verse 173. Let your hand help me, for I have chosen your precepts. God, I'm agreeing to think with you. I'm going to expect you to help me. And sometimes that help doesn't look all that great. And I go to somebody like a Joseph or Daniel even. Daniel, 13, 14 or 15 years old, being taken out of nobility and taken into Babylon to become a slave. That's bad enough. And then he's lifted out specially to be put into the king's courts to be made a non-Jew, to be made into a Babylonian. That was the whole purpose of their their three years of training was to make them stop thinking the way they used to think and make them think Babylonian. They were taught Babylonian stories, which would have included all the stories of the Babylonian gods and, and how powerful their gods were. And what's the first thing Daniel does? I don't want to eat this meat, that the, I don't want to eat this food that the king's given us. I want to eat uh, vegetables. Why? It was the first dance that he made. I don't want to eat this meat and stuff that was offered to the gods. I'm going to keep myself pure before my God. What was he saying in essence? Probably not directly even, but he was basically saying, I'm going to continue being Jewish and I'm not going to become Babylonian. You can change my name, you can, you can put me in this situation, but I'm still going to think and act like a Jew. And he got away with it. <laughs> okay, But even at that, he was basically even at that point saying the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying later, our God may not deliver, can deliver us, but he may not. They were ready to be looking and saying, even if it cost me my life, I am not going to change who I am. Too many times Christians are willing to change who they are in Christ to avoid Perse- persecution and trials. We need to be ready to say, God, I am going to stand up for you no matter what. And that means you may lose a job because you won't, you won't deny God, you may lose the prestige you know, or perceived prestige. Daniel really didn't expect to be left in the, you know, left in the training facility when he said, no, I can't eat this food. But he was ready to be made into a slave or possibly lose his life for saying, no, I can't eat this stuff. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're ready to face death. If that's what God wants us to do, we will not deny our God. It is amazing how powerful those four young men were as very young teenagers. And how often do we look at teenagers and say, well, they're just being teenagers. Mm. You know, teenagers are rebellious until they get to some magical age where all of a sudden rebellion stops and they become respectable, respectable adults. Okay. Well, if you're not going to be a respectable teenager following God in your young life, you're not just magically going to change at age 18, 19, 20, 21, 30, 31, 40, 50, 60. But what I'm saying, if it doesn't, if it's not true, the only way it's ever going to change is when God gets hold of their heart and gives them a new heart and new life. Yeah, and that's going to be a tough thing for for them. But David, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego truly accepted that God was real. And what an amazing parents they must have had to teach them right and wrong at that young age, so that when they were pulled pulled apart, pulled away, they would stay following God. Verse one seventy three, I have longed for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. I have longed for your salvation. Your law is my delight. Is God's word your delight? And I hope it is. Most people in this, in, uh, come to our other classes, it's going to be true that God's word is their delight. Otherwise it wouldn't be here. But you know, this takes it so much further. I enjoy your word, God, and I'm waiting, you know, this is what I want. I can't stay away from his word. I want to know your word. I want to share your word. I want to be able to share with others. Very important that his word becomes, you know, and then I love that first part, I have longed for your salvation. God, I'm just waiting to see how you are going to deliver. You know, God wants to deliver, but he wants us to step back and say, God, I'm waiting to see you deliver. And it goes back to, if we want to defend ourselves, God's going to say, fine, go ahead and, go ahead and defend yourself. You think you can get out of this situation? Okay, fine, you get yourself out of this situation. And when it beats us down and makes us all bloodied and we get back up and we face the same thing again and we go, okay, God, I've got this one too. God says, haven't you learned your lesson yet? You know, how many times have we seen family members or even ourselves maybe or or somebody we know and we're going, when are you going to learn your lesson? How many times does God have to knock you down in this situation before you'll finally just say, God, I need your deliverance. And we go through the same thing over and over and over again. Six years in my case for one, one lesson God's trying to teach me. You know, Fighting tooth and nail for six years to do it my way. You know. Abraham called out of the Ur of Chaldees, you know, leave your family behind and go where I tell you to go. So, what's he do? He comes out with Lot, Sarah, and his father. Makes it to Haran and decides, okay, I'm going to stay in Haran for a while. God, I, le- I, I left Ur, but you're not where I told you to be. <laughs> but, God, I left Ur. <laughs> Stayed there for over a decade. Abraham wasn't quite as quite as quick learner as some of us might be, <laughs> or maybe for some of us we have fought with God for over a decade. Finally, he gets up and he does what he st- almost does what he's told. He takes Lot with him, so he's still not completely doing what he's told. He, he takes he still takes Lot with him, and Lot's going to cause cause him a bunch of problems. Uh, one time he has to rescue Lot because he's conquered by by some enemies. Then he then he's going to, later on, when, when Lot runs from his city, the wife is, wife is turned into a pillar of salt, he gets up in the mountains, he has no intention of ever going back to where people are again, and he's got his daughters and they end up uh, committing incest with their father. Yeah. You might even see say rape because they got him drunk and made him do something he didn't, wouldn't have done, you know, theoretically, if he was sober. And out of that comes two tri, two groups of people that are going to be a thorn in the side of Israel for, for many generations afterwards. I long for your salvation, God. Verse 173, Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. How easy does God's praise come to your lips? We should be ready to praise God at all, at all times. And the more we get to know him, the, more, the better it is, because why? It says, let your judgments help me. We get to trust him. We get to understand. We start seeing things from a spiritual perspective. Everything we go through each day is spiritual. Okay? There is no such thing as a divide between the spiritual and the secular. What's of the world? And a lot of people make that divide God, I've given you Sunday. Sunday is my spiritual day. I'll give God, I'm really going to be good to you. I'm going to give you both services and I'm going to think about you all day long on Sunday. But God, you just leave me alone the other six days of the week. Right? God, I've given you one full day. The rest of it is me. And then they go to work and they lie and cheat and manipulate all because they're in business. God, you know, I've got to make it to the top of this chain, so you just stay, you stay on Sunday, God, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the, the number one in the company. I'll stab as many people in the back as it takes. I'll steal as much praise as I can possibly get just so I can get to the top of the market. God, I know those things are wrong. Just, be, just stay, stay on Sunday, God. You don't belong on my business world. They get out of business and they go into sports. They go into their sports athletic leagues. One of the things I noticed in playing sports, especially softball because it's the only thing I've really played with, with churches, church leagues are some of the worst unsportsmanlike teams out there. They repre- they've got God's name on their back with it representing some church, and they are miserable sportsmen. They attack each other, they'll call each other foul names they'll 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 do whatever it takes to win. They'll cheat. They'll, they'll do whatever they can get away with. God, you're my Sunday God, but don't get into sports, you know, because we're here to win. You know, too many Christians actually have that kind of compartmentized life. God, I worshipped you all day on Sunday morning. I'm kind of, kind of thinking about you Sunday night, but, you know, I'm kind of transitioning on Sunday night to my other things and then whatever it takes the rest of the week to be just like the world. We need to be so careful that God is God all the time. 24-7, 365 days a year, God is center in our life and needs to be. Not compartmentized, not put away, but I praise him and he is lifted up by the way I live. You know, God, this other guy got the job. Okay, God, I really think I deserved it and I was a better worker, but God, thank you that, he's, that he got it. If he got it for the wrong reasons, he's gonna fall. I I was training one manager one time and they offered him a store that he really, really wanted. And I'm going, you still need about six months of training. He goes, But it's but it's a store I really want. I'm going, the person, there's nobody else out there that they can promote that won't be well, that will that will not last past the year. Within six months to a year, that store is gonna be open again. Because then if you go there now. It's going to be open again in a year, and sure enough, it was open again in a year because he took the store, because it was where he wanted. He knew he just had to have that job, and he wanted to do it. It was where he wanted to work. He wanted to get money for his family. I'm going in the long run. It's not going to be what you need, but he knew better and he took the job, <laughs> and ended up. Next person I trained took the job, <laughs> so oh, he, well, he got the job and. I don't remember because I didn't list, stay with the company, but he was more ready. But we know, we look at this and said, is our praise in God. And the last verse in this very long chapter, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your covenants. God, I'm, I'm wandering. Seek me out. Commandments, Huh? Commandments? What did I say? Covenants. Uh, but I I do not forget your covenants. And it kind of goes what I was saying this morning. When we as Christians go off into the world and turn away from God, we no longer feel comfortable doing the things we used to do because we know we're not supposed to be there. And then we get so condemned, we're going, God, how can I go back to church because, you know, I've been living this lifestyle that isn't right. And we kind of feel like the person with no country. You know, God, I'm not, I don't belong in this bar. I don't belong in this, this, this orgy deal. I don't belong, you know, God, wherever it is that I'm at, I just don't belong here. I'm not comfortable. But God, how can I go back like a dog whipped with my tail between my legs back to that church and have them judge me? Yeah, how low an opinion do we have of God's people? Will there be people who judge you? Quite Possibly. But you know, when we come back to God, more people are going to be happy that we've come back to God and and rejoicing in our coming back than those who are unhappy and, and condemning of us. And even if they are condemning, we go back to the beginning of this. I'm not offended if I'm putting my hope in God's word. I did what I was supposed to do. I came back to God. The prodigal son, he comes back and the father rejoices and... And gives him a new cloak and cleans him up and gives him the ring and says, oh, by the way, we're going to have a party. And how does the older brother react? I didn't leave you. And you're having a party for this worthless son of yours who came back. Perfect picture of the way the church is in its reality. God welcomes us back and is happy. And those who are following God are going to be very happy that you've returned. Those that are righteous, God, I've never, I've never done these wrong things. I've been, I've been good. I, my good outweighs my bad. Get grumbly and, and upset. We need to keep this in mind. God, I want your deliverance. And God, bring me back. When we fall, the, and this is something I have seen so many times over the years. Somebody falls. And then what happens is people condemn them. Give them a hard time. They give themselves a hard time. They don't want to come back because their flesh says, I'm going to look bad if I come back because people are going to know that I've done wrong. And yet God's saying, come back. Your flesh is supposed to be crucified anyway, and people, none of the people that are in that church are, are any better than you anyway. We've got to be, begin to really truly understand that. We were so sensitive that God, if I come back, they're going to they're make fun of me you know that, that I fell away. They're going to condemn me that I did such and such. Those who truly know God aren't going to do that because they know that they're sinners. And they're going to be thinking, you know, I was welcomed back. People still loved me. God still loves me. And we need to keep this in mind. I am not anybody special. Nobody else is anybody special. Somebody who never leaves the church in their entire life may not even be saved. And even if they are, they're not even special. Just because they stayed in church and didn't go into these different sinful things, they still have sin in their life and still have problems. And if they want to condemn you, it basically shows that they don't know God's love and his mercy and how gracious he is. And we need to just understand God loves us and his people are truly going to love us when we just step back and say, Oh, it's so good to see you back. And maybe there's going to be a couple fools out there that say, well, where have you been for the last six months? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm, here now. I'm here now. I've come back to God, so I'm where I'm supposed to be. And those who truly understand God are going to be able to say, oh, it's so good to see you back. Thank you. Too many Christians are, are the wrong type. And I, and I will tell you, there are many of them out there. There are many that are, may attack you, but there's going to be a lot of them that are just going to love you and be so happy you're back because God is happy that you're back. God is that father of the prodigal son that says, I don't even care where you've been. Do you, do you, have you ever read that story and realized that he's watching for the son because he knows what the son's going to do? You, know, you don't give people instant wealth and not expect them to lose it. We see it over and over again with all of our sports stars and, and Hollywood uh, superstar actors and actresses. You know, they get a million dollars and then they need to get another job again because they've already blown through all that money in no time. The father knew when he gave his son all this instant wealth that he was going to blow it. Now he's hoping that he didn't blow it really bad and really make total mockery of his life, even though he's pretty sure he was. But he's waiting for the sun to come back. And he runs toward the sun. And if you read the story, it wasn't, son, where have you been? What have you done with all your money? And why are you here? It's, I am so happy you're back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this robe. I'm going to clean you up. And we're going we're gonna to have a party celebrating your return. Well, just about us. us. Yeah, the story is us. The story is us. We go off and do our thing. And God still says, oh, you're back. Thank you. And it's not just salvation. It is when we go away and come back as his child. And so many times we, go, we, we will fall away and, and, and come back and God's saying, here we are, I, I, want, I want to welcome you. And the hard thing is there's those in the church that have, well, I've never walked away from God. Well, I'm sure you have. You may not have actually walked away from the church, but in your heart you probably have walked away. Because very few people go through their entire life following God and honoring God their entire life. Away just for make. Oh yeah, you can make a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. You can still be coming to church every day, making some really bad decisions, running your business like the world runs their business, and saying, "Well, God, uh, you just stay out of this, God. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to, I'm going to think that I'm a good Christian, but just don't let them look too closely at my business practices. Don't let them look too closely at the way I'm living my life. Just as bad. Just as bad because." That's actually probably worse than actually going off the deep end because when you go off the deep end, you know, you go, man, I really messed up. But you're going to be more likely to want to hide these little indiscretions even when you're in church because then you're going to go, "Uh, I can't get too close to you guys because you might actually get to know who I am outside of church. And there's so many people that hold everybody off in the church. Just stay your distance. I don't want you to know who I am because you might be judging me. And I don't want, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of things I don't want you to know about me. So just you just stay, you stay at arm's length. <laughs> don't don't try to get involved with my life. Don't try to get don't try to get to know me because if you knew me, you wouldn't want anything to do, do with me. Not understanding God's love and mercy. Stay back. Stay back. And here we want to look and say, God says. Love me so much, and I'm going to accept you. I'm going to be your deliverance. God knows that we cannot do the right things. Yeah. How many times in church have I heard the statement, Well, God knows my heart. You're absolutely right. God knows your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked, and above all things, who can know it? That's not a good thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> but oh usually what they're saying what they're trying to say is God knows that I want to do right and I do wrong things that you know but that's because they think somehow that they are wanting to be good when God says no I know you want to be bad and it's only through me that you're doing what's good when we start to really understand who we are God I am a sinner I am a sinner when I start actually understanding that I am a sinner then I know that when I do wrong things, I am doing what I want to do and who I am. And this is why I say over and over, when, the, when a lost person does something wrong, I am in no way surprised because that is who they are. When a Christian does something wrong, I am not surprised because that's who they are without their flesh being crucified. I am saddened when a Christian does something wrong because they're living beneath the victory that God's trying to give them but I'm not surprised because we are flesh and blood and we're going to do things that the flesh wants to do. When I find myself being caught up listening to something that I shouldn't be listening to about a person, you know, and you've all seen me probably do it at some, nope, we got to stop. We're not going here. We're, you know, God is doing something good in it. You know, trying to do something good in this person's life or something. You'll, you'll watch me make that transition. All of a sudden it's hit my head. We're in a conversation area. We're not supposed to be in And all of a sudden I'll flip on it without attacking the person, but no, you know, we need to we need to do this. We need to start talking more positively and lift them up. (laughs) But you know, it's just a matter of how easy it is to get caught up in that kind of thing. Get caught up in the negative talk about people and all of a sudden realize, well, hold it, we're not we're supposed to be edifying this person up, we're supposed to be lifting this person up. We're supposed to be showing them love, and here I am tearing them down behind their back. You know, we need to be, if we got something to say, we need to tell the person directly and say, this is what, what you need to hear. And how do we live? And how easy it is to get wrapped up in the flesh. Which is why Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. He wants our flesh crucified, and he wants to live through us. And it is so easy for us to, to let the flesh live to be part of the flesh because it is who we are and it's who we want to be without our heart being changed. And I know I've had some people get really mad at me when I say the heart is deceitfully wicked because they'll point out, well, God gives us a new heart. And you know, he does give us a new heart, but that totally doesn't totally wipe out the old heart of sin and and desire for evil. All it does is give us a desire to do what God wants us to do. Which we then have this battle between us in Romans 7 where Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I, that I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And there's a lot of people that want to say, well, that was before he got saved. No, I don't believe that for a minute because I've always had these problems of doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things that I know I should be doing. And then everybody that I know has the same problem. Especially Christians who've been walking with God for long periods of time, they still have the problem of doing what they don't want to do and not doing what they know is right. It is a battle we will fight for the rest of our lives. Now, does it get easier? Absolutely. The more I got God's word in my heart, the more he's crucified my flesh, the easier it gets to make the decisions and live a correct life. But man I still find myself as much as I know about God I still find myself listening to people when they complain about somebody else and having to catch myself and it slips in so easy. I still think of the wrong thoughts toward people at, at various times and don't always speak the wrong thoughts but all, sometimes the very first thing is well they got what they deserve you know that should not be what I you know but we're all there you know when somebody when somebody really deserves something bad in their life the first thing that oftentimes will pop into our head, we may not say it, we may not act on it, but it's about time they got what they deserve. And that should not be our attitude. And hopefully it's not. No, because then my second thought is, uh uh-oh, and what do I deserve? Well, but that's God's coming in, coming right behind it. But you know, we so often, the flesh is thoughts. And how much time, how many times have I told you, even when we really know God's word, he's crucified our flesh, the first Thought that will pop into your mind is going to be the flesh's thought. Always. The 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 flesh's thought. The thought of the flesh. Somebody smacks you across the face, your very first instinct will be to get back at them. Now, how fast does God's thoughts follow on it? Well, if you're really into his word and everything, his word, his thought may be so fast that you think it was there first. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, turn the other cheek and let God be your defense. But I can tell you, if you really think about it, your first thought is always going to be this person said, What? I just wait, wait till I get to somebody to tell them. And God may say, Well, nope, you're going to, this is what you're supposed to do. And you go, Okay, God, all right. But our thoughts are always designed negative. The thoughts of lust, when you see that person that, especially in the summertime, and they're near, anywhere near a beach, and nobody, and you got all these people that basically have no clothes on. You know, some of them have less clothing on than, 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 they would, than they wear under their normal clothing and they're at the beach. And your thoughts immediately go into some lustful thoughts and you have to go, no, God, you know, bring a captive thought in. You know, the, the flesh's thought will pop in first. And then God's thoughts can come hopefully right in. So, hopefully they get in so fast that he's right there and keeps you from doing any, anything with that thought. You know, and I, and I love the idea because every one of us has probably been smacked at some time in our life and the very first thing we want to do is, you smacked me, I'm going to smack you. And if you're not really strong enough to go, I'm going to smack you, we're, we're, we're starting to plot our revenge. How am I going to get back to you, you know, I can't smack you because you, you'll beat the tar out of me but you just wait, you know, you just wait till I can get this opportunity to get back at you. My passive aggressive side, well, I'm going to really get after you, you know when you're not expecting it. So how fast does God's thought come on that and say, God, I'm just going to love you, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to turn the other cheek. Any, Any area of our life, this happens to us. How well do I know God's word? How much of his word is so stuck in my head that he pops into my thought pattern as fast as the sin did? Some areas where you haven't struggled with, that may not, you, know, you may never get to God's thought because it's not, not relevant to you at that point because you've not dealt with it. And then you get to that point where you read God's word and go, oh, oh no. <laughs> Have you had those moments where you're reading God's word and said, God, you, what, what I did for the last 20 years is wrong? Uh, God, uh, I'm going to skip this verse. <laughs> I don't want to see this verse, God. It's too late once you've seen it. So all right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and, and just that you love us so much. Help us as we go through our days to live for you in a righteous way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.